dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. The power of a leader is as much about your connection with your people as it is with your vision and your drive. People follow those who trust them, and they trust those who show the character and the drive necessary not only to succeed, but to succeed at doing what's right. This is the difference that Christ makes. In this sixth and final episode of our six-part series on the difference Christ makes, we look at the unique impact Jesus gives to his followers in their connectivity with others and how that applies to our businesses. You know, it's really hard to be a leader. It's uh, when you're put in front of a group of people and you've got to perform for them. Uh, I mean, you, you can be tempted just to turn towards the sky and say, let's go. I've got to have a vision. We've got to have things to do. And you can become so focused on everything that you've got to do that, in fact, you lose track of the people you're supposed to do it with. And, and this is really hard to do, especially in a, in a, a, a monetary-driven position where, man, you've got to hit your numbers. Or when you're in manufacturing and you've got to hit so many products out, period, or else there'll be a cascade of repercussions going all the way down to logistics. I mean, and it's just a really hard thing to do. We all know that. And that's why I wanted to gather you guys here just to give you this talk about the importance that Christ, Jesus Christ and his faith can make in you as Christian business leaders and the advantage that he can give, especially there. When the rubber meets the road and you've got to get things done, the very first thing that a Christian leader does is he reconnects with his people. It's, and, and this is, you, it's almost counterintuitive because like I said, the temptation is to say that's all buckle down, but you know what goes on then. When you, as soon as you say that, let's all buckle down, we're going to go just like a dad with his family going on vacation. <laughs> the kids are going to all start crying, right? Because no one wants dad to be mad. And just buckling down and saying, my way or the highway, we're going forward, doesn't necessarily guarantee they're going to obey, right? I mean, if you, just, if you tell everybody what to do, the next thing you have to do is hold them accountable for failure. And holding people accountable for failure wastes a lot of energy. It's a lot better to create a system where the failure can be even dynamic and where people are, are self-correcting instead of you having to put yourself into this all the time as if you yourself were the sole guarantor of success. You know, there was a national poll taken not too long ago about leaders, and they asked the question, what are the four things that a leader needs to be effective? And two of them I found rather, you know, normal, right? But two of them really surprised me. The two that I found to be expected were vision and passion, right? We get that. We're going to follow someone who knows where to go, and we're going to follow someone who's excited to get there. Right? But the, the other two were the ones I want to emphasize today with you. And that is that people will follow those who trust them. 
And, and I found this to be true anecdotally. As I went around, I'd, I'd ask people to list out the qualities that they found in their greatest leader. Who's your hero? Who's made the biggest impact in your life? And what do they do to make that impact? And universally, I mean, just everybody puts down that they believed in me. And it's interesting because we as leaders, we can sometimes think that we are the be all and end all and we are the mover of the team. But actually, good leadership will result in the team moving itself. And how do I get the team to move itself? How do I get my kids to clean their rooms, right? <laughs> how do I get my, my people to perform at a very high level, right? So of course I can have the vision and the passion, but I can also cut me off from the very people that I'm supposed to be leading. And when it gets, comes down to it, the thing that's going to move people the most is when they feel like their leader believes in them. Like they feel like their leader wants them to succeed. And, and, and the energies that we can spend there will have exponential effect in getting us to where we want to go with our vision. And the other thing that the people said in, in this poll that, that, and I found this to be true as well, that the, the leader has that makes them powerful is when they, they feel like they can trust him or her, right? So trusting the leader and being trusted by the leader. Now, who does that sound like? What great leader do we all know who can be totally trusted by his followers, right? Entrusts all of his authority to those who follow him, right? Entrusts them with great authority. Uh, it, it has the vision for the, the truth about our life and enough passion to come to this world with love so as to suffer and die for us. Obviously, I'm describing Jesus Christ. Well, that means that Jesus Christ is the greatest leader who's ever walked the face of the earth because his vision was deeper, his passion was stronger. No one has ever entrusted anyone with a greater responsibility than Christ giving the kingdom to the apostles. And then he himself is absolutely impeccably trustworthy. And this is why his religion is making such a great gain in our world and why you who are dedicated to his faith need to not be afraid to lead. Your faith isn't going to make you weaker leaders. It's going to make you better leaders. And yes, you need to have all of the business skills necessary. And yes, you have to study over and over again. And you have to work all of the human nitty gritty of your jobs. And you have to do a lot of self-improvement. And you, But I want to say that your faith is behind all of that. Right? Your faith, in other words, doesn't, isn't there to, get, to excuse you from the labors that are necessary to make you successful in your endeavors. Not at all. It's there to impel you towards those labors with a vision and a passion that excel to any other human motivation. I think, in other words, like if you can look at your business like God does, and if you could love your business like God does, you would apply yourself to your workplace with an even greater zeal. This is the difference that Christ makes. He doesn't take you out of management and he doesn't take the responsibilities away from you. He actually walks with you into management, walks with you into your responsibilities and helps you to succeed by his grace in his way with his knowledge and his ability, his grace, right, given to you. He walks with you because he loves you. If, if you're ashamed of your business, well then maybe change the way that you're doing it. But there's nothing in and of business itself that's worthy of shame. 
anything we should be ashamed of. And some of us hang our heads. We just say, well, I'm just a worldly person. I'm going through life. I'm just making money. If, if that's how you're looking at it, well, then you can convert. <laughs> and your conversion, right, to God isn't going to take you away from it being in the world. It's instead going to say, that's why I'm in the world. It's an opportunity for me to bring the kingdom through my management, through my organization, through my project planning, through the way that I interact with people into the, be the, the, the heart of our culture. How can I make God known in and through my business? And obviously you can do that sometimes overtly. Most of the time it's not overt, but you're still making him known because of the love that you have for the, your fellow workers, the ethics that guide your daily decisions, and the vision that you have for what you're doing that gives you a great dignity and that Christian dignity to say, I am doing this for God. And I am doing this for my fellow human beings to make this world better. My friends, that's an announcement and a proclamation that is as loud as any preaching. And it's the proclamation that we give the world when we lead it in the name of Christ. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. So we all know that Christ makes a difference in, in our business because he makes a difference in the hearts of each one of us, okay? So, and we've gone over this in the previous sessions, right? So we've already gone over how he changes fatalism into Christian creativity. He changes fog into Christian clarity. He changes fear into Christian courage. He changes fatigue into Christian constancy. And he also changes being forlorn or feeling forlorn into Christian communion, right? Being, feeling forlorn, it's, it's a, a type of anxiety of the soul that can keep you from leading because it divides you from the people you're supposed to lead, right? I feel like they don't like me. I feel like I'm unworthy of a relationship with them. And so I deliberately limit the radiance of my personality and my natural relationships with the people because I feel like I'm going to be rejected. You become a self-fulfilling prophecy when you feel forlorn, right? And, and that is, is a, something bigger than just a feeling. It's a, it's a way of being that really cripples some of us in our leadership. Some of the people who are the toughest drivers, for example, actually suffer from feeling this way, from having this type of sense that in fact, they're not capable of really gaining their, the trust and the respect of their followers. And so they replace that trust and respect with drive and anger and all kinds of things that actually hurt them even more. If you've got to yell and cajole your people into, into falling into line or your, your people into doing what you want them to do, you're actually probably an ineffective leader. Right? Because your people might do something on the outside, but they're never going to give that morale, team spirit, and the culture of cooperation that you really need to succeed. I'm remembering this story. When I, I used to be a teacher, I, I taught in high school. And I remember the, when I was first learning how to teach, one of the other teachers came in and I asked the teacher, how do I discipline a class? 
And we sat down together it was after school and we're sitting in the, in the students' desks, you know, side by side. And the teacher says, let me give you a story that'll help you to, to explain this. There was once a boy named Johnny. Now, I think this is a totally, by the way, a fictitious story, okay? But it made sense to me. She said, there was once a boy named Johnny and the, the, he, in the middle of the class, Johnny stood up and the teacher said, sit down, Johnny. And Johnny said, no, I'm not going to sit down. And the teacher yelled at him and said, sit down, Johnny. And Johnny said, no, I refuse. And the teacher said, if you don't sit down, I'm going to suspend you. And Johnny sat down. And so the teacher walked over, you know, kind of smugly to say, there, I told you to sit. I'm glad you're sitting. And the Johnny looked at the teacher and said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but on the inside, I'm still standing. Right? But that's an obvious failure of discipline. On the one hand, okay. But on the other hand, you didn't really educate that student. You didn't really understand why they were standing. Right? Management of our people requires a deep connectivity and emotional intelligence to see what motivates the people, how to make them go give their best, and to forge a bond of trust between you and them so that they can give their best. Now, I know there's a million other ways to manage. I just don't think there's a million other ways to manage well, <laughs> right? We, we can all find excuses to say, this is how I'm going to lead my family. This is how I'm going to lead my world. But, and, and I get results. And I'm like, yeah, you might, but you may have been able to get 10 times the results had you led the person with the philosophy and the approach that comes from the way that Christ led. He didn't take away the need for organization. He actually said to Simon Peter, on, your, on this rock, I build my church, right? The church in, in Greek, it actually means my assembly, right? So my organization, I, on you, I'm building my organization. I've made of them, you know, the 12 pillars here, the 12 apostles of an organization. And the Christians understood this spontaneously. They understood it under the motion of the Holy Spirit. But after, I mean, day one, Simon Peter goes out on Pentecost and he starts preaching the gospel and there's 3,000 people that are converted that very day. Well, that requires organizational structure. And they, they then ordain the deacons and so forth, right? Christ doesn't take that away. That if you're going to ordain deacons, for example, you've got to give them a clear mission and a clear role. So you have a role description. You've got the required skill set that's listed for deacons, the required skill set that's listed for, for bishops. I mean, you have job descriptions posted right there in the New Testament. Now, I don't want to trivialize, right, the great mystery of the church, but I also don't want to over-spiritualize something that actually shows us the beauty of our humanity. Let's remember that our first pope was himself a successful business leader, right? And, and that Jesus chose four business people to be his four chief apostles, John, James, Peter, and Andrew, all of which were working for their father's business at the time when Jesus called them and were primed to take over their father's companies. Right? So, I mean, these were people, in other words, who knew and understood how to organize labor, how to organize and cooperation, how to motivate people. So let's just take a look here and look at how Jesus himself leads his apostles. Right? First of all, he allows them to make mistakes. I'm thinking, for example, of the apostles whom he allows to try to drive out a demon and they're unable to do so. 
And then they're frustrated and say, we've been trying to do this and it didn't work. And Jesus says, this type only is driven out by fasting and by prayer. Oh, well, that's, that's good to know. But he first allows them to try and to fail. He sends them out by themselves in a type of training to get the experience that they need. And then he coaches them upon what they did afterwards. This is in Luke where he sends them out, sends out the 72, remember, two by two, to go into every town and villages, village where he himself would go and to prepare the way. And then after they come back, Jesus asks them what they did and they were excited and they said everything that they did. He, in other words, gives them the ability to train and to step into the role that he's asking them to play. He allows them to make big mistakes. I'm thinking of Simon Peter. You know, Jesus tells Simon Peter, you're going to make this mistake before he even makes it. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? He doesn't keep Simon Peter from apostatizing three times. He's like, instead, when you've turned, he says, strengthen your brethren. In other words, be a source of compassion and strength to them. I mean, this is absolutely unreal. If you look at the way that he manages to get these people to give the very blood of their bodies as a sacrifice for the cause, he begins by forging a bond with them that is one of trust, of encouragement, of training, and of tolerance. Right? And that same pattern, of course, can become a wonderful pattern for ourselves when we deal with our people. Our people will follow us. I mean, obviously, it's not a universal kind of remedy here. But in general, our people will follow us if they feel like we care for them. And if, in fact, not only do they feel it, but if we actually do. That being trusted and entrusting is the key to a Christian vision for what it means to lead. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. So all of us are here at the St. John Leadership Network in order to improve our leadership. And the good news is that Christ doesn't just give us an example of great leadership, but actually he wants to live inside of our leadership as its source and as, as the, the wellspring, so to speak, of the grace that we have to do it right. This is the beauty of redemption, that Jesus will come into the very wound that seems to prohibit us from moving forward and he'll transform it by his grace into the reason we will be successful. And so that we can say like St. Paul, the reason that I am strong is because of Christ. I am weak, but he in me becomes strength. Well, in the same way, I of myself am a weak leader. I have feelings of forlornness, right? Where I allow myself to say, my people won't trust me. I am not trustworthy. And so I'm not even going to try to connect with them. I'm going to cajole them by, by their discipline or I'm going to cajole them by salaries. I'm just going to get my people to work for me without actually me being a part of the equation. And I, I think that there's something that's, that's not human about that because it doesn't really work that way. In the end, all of us, no one is paid enough to do what they do. 
<laughs> Even though we might give people a fair wage, we all know that the salaries not alone isn't going to keep someone in that position. And even if it does, they're not going to be performing at their very best. Salaries might give us a just performance of a job description, but the best that someone can give, that they reserve to a deeper form of motivation called respect, admiration, or even caring for the mission of what they're trying to do there in the workplace. And the person who carries that is the leader whom they follow. And so we have an opportunity to actually allow our people to even be greater and better than anything we could pay them to do. But to do that, we've got to overcome that obstacle inside of us that makes us feel somehow or other worthy of being shunned by the very people we're called to lead. And I think that that's where if we call upon Christ, he can give us a difference. He can allow us to shine in a whole new way, in a beautiful way, and in a powerful way. And that allowing us to shine in that way, I call it Christian communion. Now, I know that that word is evidently very religious or psychological. It can mean different things for people. So what I mean by it is the ability that a leader has to engage the people who follow him or her in order to really bring the best out of them. Right? So when I'm a person of communion, in other words, I work with people. People don't just work for me. They work with me. Right? I have, in other words, been able to share something that's deep down inside of who I am with something that's deep down inside of who they are. We've met at a deeper level than just productivity. And this communion, obviously, is the end goal of leadership. When you really ask people at the, at the consummation of their career, you know, what they most want to do, and they're going to say, I want to inspire other people. I want to, after you've done great things on the field, you turn around and you coach others, right? I mean, don't you all want to leave a legacy behind you with everything that you've learned along the way, being able to give that to someone else and watch them run with it? Of course you do, right? That type of fruitfulness, that, that well, where does that come from? That comes from when you're speaking with other people and you're allowing them to share something of what drives you. And, and you're sharing from your heart so that they too can be inspired by what's inspired you. And when you've done that, now you've done more than just move the ball down the field. You've created a quarterback who's going to do the same and even do it better than yourself. Well, how do I get there? How do I leave an, an impressive legacy behind me, one that's more than just making money, but that really changed the world? Well, I do that, of course, when I, I leave a leader behind me. And how do I inspire leadership in others? I have that ability to go beyond what we're just doing and see what we're doing from the lens of the personal improvement of everyone who's doing it. This is what I mean by communion. It's the same thing that Jesus does for us when he allows us to love the Father as he loves us and when he gives us a glimpse into how we can love other people by dying on the cross so that St. John will actually say, as he has done this, so we too must lay down our lives for our brothers. That's inspiration right there. Now the followers of Christ are acting like Christ himself. And he lives within them. I mean, it's the ultimate. And we can't have that kind of inspiration. We can't leave that kind of legacy behind. But we can certainly come close 
to doing something similar to it, right? And that's when we allow Jesus to transform our loneliness of heart into the opportunity for him to give his grace and his love through us. In other words, when we realize that the only one that really needs to approve us is Jesus, is God, then we become bold towards our brothers and sisters in the world. And it's not a question of faith. It's not a question of trying to evangelize or, or spreading the gospel by, you know, thumping on your Bible in front of them. I'm not saying that at all. What, what I'm saying is that to really try to engage the deeper meaning and deeper purpose of life and to try to help other people to do the same. I mean, Christ is the truth. And when you find truth, you know, it, it becomes a, a place where you can really lead. Hey, we're not just doing this, in other words, just to make money. You know, we're, we're doing this in order to better our world. And that is part of the vision. And if you don't believe in that, then you shouldn't be doing what you're doing, right? We can actually respect each other and we can unite a society together. We can heal all kinds of wounds right here in our company. And that's the vision that I'm taking into this. You see, when you're there, now you're talking about a deeper level. You're talking about a deeper meaning, a deeper purpose. And you're keen, you can engage your followers with that. In fact, you need to. Because when, I, when you can do that, you can create a culture where the, the people underneath you are actually pushing everyone above them and everyone underneath them up. And this is, of course, a successful business, a successful business culture, right? So what's at the basis of this? You know, how, how do I even begin to be motivated to have that kind of communion with the people that I'm working with and create that bond of trusting and being trusted by them. And it all begins by you yourself healing the bitterness that can keep you back. Every human being could be a great leader if they have confidence in themselves, if they themselves believe in what they're doing. It, it, it might be in a small way. It might be in a way that's unseen. But when someone believes in what they're doing and someone sees what they're doing as beautiful and good, if they can claim that on the inside, they'll be able to communicate that on the outside. And when someone communicates on the outside, the victory that they've claimed on the inside, they become attractive and attractive at a deep level where the people who are following them can catch the same spirit. And this is what Christ wants for each one of us, to love what you're doing so profoundly and to love it as your service back to God so you can inspire others to do the same. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.